This is episode 44. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Welcome. Glad to have you aboard. For the next 20 minutes, the Thomas Fire. It's been six months since what is now considered the largest wildfire in California's history broke out. From December 4th to December 22nd, that fire, get this, cost more than $177 million to fight. It forced the evacuation of more than 104,000 people and had 8,500 firefighters from 22 states simultaneously working to contain it. Unbelievable. But let's not forget about the public information efforts. Imagine for a moment, if you will, what any large disaster would look like. Keeping the affected communities in the dark without any information whatsoever. Confusion, panic, anger, mistrust, chaos, unnecessary injuries and fatalities, all likely. So we're going to talk with the person who was thrust into the middle of the Thomas fire, figuratively, not literally, and had to manage that very important public information right now. So joining us today on the phone is the communications manager for the city of Ventura. Her name is Kelly Flanders. Kelly, thanks for uh, picking up the phone and giving us a call for this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sean. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, uh, all of the work that you did as well throughout the uh, the Thomas Fire and uh, everything that happened before and since. Let's go back and talk about the Thomas Fire. First of all, where were you? What were you doing when you first uh, got word that things could be getting worse and that you needed to take some kind of action? Sure. So um, let me just back up for a minute, Sean, because it just feels right for me to start the conversation with a lot of gratitude. Uh, We have a list of cooperating agencies nationwide that our fire chief, David Ndaya, has been sending letters of thanks to. And just to help put it in perspective a little, there are 702 agencies on that list from 22 states. So the city of Ventura continues to feel immense appreciation for all of the first responders that came to our aid. And of course, we're also thankful to our residents for their cooperation and heeding warnings and following instructions so that these first responders could be out there doing their job. Um, And obviously for helping each other, we've heard a lot of stories about uh, neighbors helping neighbors, and that's really representative of who the city of Ventura community is. So on that first evening, well, actually that day, I got to work at 7 a.m. on December 4th. I knew I had to to be here early. We had a lot of things going on that night, and one of them was to swear in a new mayor during our city council meeting. Mm -hmm. So I was at work at 7 a.m. getting ready for that type of thing and had been at work all day up until the council meeting started about 6 o'clock and watching the council meeting and finally about 8. 30 p.m. sometime in there, 8.45, our mayor was about to be sworn in and I was sitting in council chambers and I got a text message from our fire marshal letting me know that we were going to be opening the EOC. So um, we knew the fire was coming from, from Santa Paula area. We knew that the winds had just been pretty wicked, you know, that week. 
And I got on the phone immediately and started calling folks from my PIO team to meet me down at the EOC, which is located about five miles from City Hall. Okay, and of course, for those people who don't necessarily have an image in their mind about where the city of Ventura lies, it's right adjacent to your neighboring community of or neighboring city of Santa Barbara, correct? That's correct. So you guys are just south of Santa Barbara. That's right? correct, yes. Okay. The Thomas Fire, as we know now, is historical in size, scope, damage. At the time, we knew that the winds and you knew that the winds were fanning these flames, and that was sending it right toward the city and toward uh, Santa Barbara. At that point, uh, you had gotten the message, but did you have any idea just how massive this thing was? Right before we went into council chambers for to watch the uh, city council meeting, I was sitting in the back room with our police chief, Ken Corney, and we were watching it on the news. And it was just outrageous. The fire was just you know, really picking up speed. And um, our police chief left right away to go talk to the sheriff in the in the Ventura County Sheriff's Department to see what he could do to collaborate, to find out, to sort of get ahead of what was going on. But really, at that time, we, we didn't know what to expect. We knew that the fire was burning rapidly at an extreme speed, you know, pushed by the winds. And then soon after, that's when we started to begin seeing that there were power outages that affected large portions of the city of Ventura. So your uh, initial uh, job as communications manager from this point moving forward then is to what exactly? I mean, evacuation orders hadn't been given at this point, had they? That's correct. They had not been given at that point. So I was calling some folks from our PIO team to help go down to our EOC again, which is located at our police and fire headquarters about five miles away from City Hall. So as soon as we got there, we started setting up shops, so to speak, and started right away doing our information gathering. At that point, we were letting the public know that there were power outages happening in the city of Ventura and that there was a fire in Santa Paula. And Sean, right after that, it just seemed like once that first evacuation notice had been put out, and we have a terrific collaboration with the Ventura County folks, and they actually are the ones who send out what's called a VC alert. That's a text message and phone system alert so people can find out uh, emergency information and to be notified of these evacuations. So keep in mind, and it's important for me to say this, is that we were the PIOs behind the scenes. So we weren't out, you know, on scene. We weren't there when it happened. We were behind the scenes collecting information as, soon, as quickly as we could. So once these first evacuations started coming out, it just felt like everything was just happening at once. It was just the domino effect of evacuations in one area, moving to the next area, moving to the next area, moving to the next area. And this all was happening at night. So a lot of people are, have been, you know, sending us pictures. We're watching it on TV. We're seeing that there's just this immense flame just on our hillsides. So we were watching all of this from our EOC, again, uh, making sure that we were pushing out all of the, our messages to the community on all of our social media platforms. We were also doing a lot of triage phone calls on our disaster hotline. Our PIO team did a great job at making sure people understood what was going on and letting them know that if they felt threatened, even though they weren't under an evacuation notice at this time, 
to leave their homes, to get out of the way, to, you know, stay off the streets, to be safe, help your neighbors, call who you need to call and leave the area as quickly as possible. So Kelly, when you were using all of these different tools at your disposal, was there any one particular tool that you found to be uh, the most effective or was it a, a combination or what would you say to that? I think it was definitely a combination. Um, again, the work that the Ventura County folks were doing at County OES and pushing out the text message and um, email and phone alert to folks notifying them of the evacuations, that was a tremendous help. We were also getting um, questions from people on Nextdoor. We were putting out all of our messages via Nextdoor. We had um, just a tremendous amount of different uh, messages that we were pushing out um, to the community because we follow what's uh, called bcemergency.com. That's the county's website. It's their hub for all of the information on evacuations, on shelters, on utility updates hard road closures, school closures, and more. So we were helping to get all of that information out to the community. And then at the municipal level, we were pushing out information that was specific to our community. For instance, our police department put a curfew in effect that next day on December 5th. So Mm -hmm. those are messages that were specific just to the city of Ventura. Shortly thereafter, our police department also started granting temporary residential access uh, by escort only. So we were communicating with our residents on how to go about that. And I just want to say, you know, that was just a um, something that we got, our city got a lot of praise for. Our police chief, Ken Corney, had the foresight to know that we would need that assistance. You know, we always talk in emergencies about thinking ahead, what comes next? And Chief Corney had the foresight to know that that was coming next and that we would need assistance to do that. And he did that by partnering with the National Guard to make sure that our residents were safe coming in and out of that neighborhood and that they were escorted so everybody was safe. That's fantastic. Thinking ahead, as you know, and you said, is so important in the emergency response business. At what point did you realize that you needed help? You know, Sean, it happened so fast that I don't even... I don't even know if that was a, you know, a stationary thought, you know, that that stayed in my head very long. Everything was happening so instantly that you just did it as it was happening. So as we were setting up the PIO room and started with triaging those phone calls and starting to push out the messages on our social media platforms, you know, we're starting a list of our of our media contacts. Who do we need to call back? Who who needs to be the spokesperson for that? And then we started making a list of, you know, we were working 12-hour shifts. Who needs to come in next? How are we going to make sure that they're trained and up to speed? And so it kind of just, I want to say it happened organically. It's kind of part of that um, muscle memory that you do right. when you're training. So it wasn't like a cognizant thought. It was just something you just start doing. Well, that's good. So the, the the training and the experience that you have, like you said, created this organic response for yourself, bringing people in as you need them, calling people in, figuring out who's going to rest, who's going to come in next. That is so important because instinct and experience, that's what you rely on. You don't have time to think about, okay, what, what, did, what did my instructor tell me that or what did my supervisor want me to do? You just have to react it's like driving a car. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, when you asked earlier about 
about thinking of those things, it's not like you're sitting there and you're pulling out a worksheet and it says, oh, now I have to do this. And my form step one, like step this, two, and I create yeah. like this. Yeah. There's a time period, I think, and one of the lessons learned for me is that during an emergency, you just make it work as best as you can. You can't always follow regular processes because you're not operating within normal circumstances. So you just make it work as best as you can. And Flexible. if you don't have yeah, if you don't have the tools right next to you, you just sort of ad lib a little bit and you do what you need to do. One of our challenges that we had is that we worked at the EOC again at our police and fire headquarters during that first week, but our EOC was still activated and our city hall was in the evacuation zone at this time. And so we didn't have access to any of our tools at City Hall. So uh, that was a challenge. Now, Cal Fire actually took City Hall out of the evacuation zone about after a week after the fire started. And we were able to get back into City Hall, which was really, really important for us because we wanted to make sure that our residents had access to us. We wanted to make sure that they could come in, that we could give them the information and provide them with the services um, that we needed to provide them with. So it was really important for us to do that. And um, our risk management and our facilities division worked really hard to open up City Hall. So we got in there uh, a week later, a week after the fire started, and there had been a whole area around um, behind City Hall that had been burned or scorched. When we got into City Hall, it was very, it had been very smoky. You could smell smoke everywhere. You have to remember that there was just ash just floating, you know, all, all everywhere in the community. But in particular, in the building, which was, again, right where the fire went through, very smoky. You could smell it when you came in. Our facilities had about 50 very, very loud air purifiers, which were doing a great job at cleaning the air, but it was hard to work under those circumstances. Oh, sure. It was very loud. Um, they were in place for the whole month of December. All of wow. our vents had to be cleaned. Um, every surface, horizontal and vertical, had to be wiped down. Um, how, how does it smell now? Uh, Is much it all better. Clean? Much better. Yeah, yes, it's all good, good now. Yes. All right, good. So when you were evacuated, essentially pushed out of your typical workspace, and refresh my memory, where did you go? So we were at the EOC, which is located over at our police fire headquarters about five miles away. You had to abandon ship and then uh, run over to the EOC. And uh, what was the biggest disadvantage of being over there? I mean, obviously, you didn't have your typical tools and, and all that at your fingertips. but Yeah, so there were definitely some firsts. Um, we had our first city council meeting in the lobby of our fire and police headquarters. So (laughs) definitely that leads to some first. Um, Also because the the cloud of ash was just everywhere. Um, We knew, and and again, the red flag conditions persisted and there were hot spots flaring up. We knew that we wanted and needed to connect with our residents via a community meeting as soon as possible. It was really important for us to do that, you know, as as government public service, it's our it's our job and it's our privilege really to be able to provide the public with the information that they need and to understand the bigger picture of the efforts that were really going on. 
And we really wanted to connect with them in a personal way. So the fire started on Monday night. By Thursday night, we knew we wanted to go forward with the community meeting so we could connect with them on an interpersonal way. So by Thursday evening, we started going forward with planning a community meeting that happened on Saturday. So that was a bit of a challenge doing that remotely, you know, not from City Hall since it was an open. So we had um, a variety of different things that we needed to do to prepare for this meeting. Uh, we had multiple speakers um, so that our residents could hear from subject matter experts. We had Cal Fire, Ventura City Fire and Police, of course, County Public Health, Behavioral Health, and others, which provided just a, ter a terrific amount of information. We held the meeting over at the high school, and more than 1,500 residents attended that day. Wow. Um, we also, yeah, it was incredible. I've held community meetings where four people show up, you know, because mm, they're mm, not mm. very interested in a turn lane. They, or They were or interested in this, weren't they? <laughs> they were interested in this. So we had a live feed going on that day for our media. And we also established a mini local assistance center in the cafeteria during that meeting so that residents who lost their homes could get the information that they needed too. We had the Department of Insurance, the United States Post Office, AT&T, our utility companies, the county tax assessors, uh, behavioral health, and those types of agencies that could help them right away. And I can only speculate, but I would say that you probably got a lot of thank yous from the community during that first meeting because you're giving them important information that they need to know now. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Yeah, it went really well, but um, the situation continued. And one of the challenges that we had was in working with the public to help them understand why we weren't letting them back into the evacuation zones, even though it seemed that the fire had already moved up north. There were hot spots that were coming up. There were utility companies that were working in the streets. It was definitely not safe for them to go back into the neighborhoods. And we, we really felt the pain for that one. People wanted to get back into their homes, and we, we totally understood that. One of the things that we did is we started posting the pictures of what was happening out on the streets, and that oh. seemed to be really helpful. And we published pictures of the hundred, you know, hundreds of SCE trucks that were out there and the gas companies that was out there and all of these utility companies and what the status looked like on their streets, that was getting that visual out to the community really seemed to help them understand that we were doing this for their safety and that we wanted to make sure that uh, it was um, a safe environment for them to go back into. As painful as it, as it is, I think, uh, eventually they understand. And looking back on it, I think, you know, safety is is the number one priority here. And I would also assume that you probably had a number of employees who were facing the same situation that all of those other residents were. Yes, we had some we had some employees that lost their home and that was difficult. Some of them lost their homes while they were working in the EOC. So, Ugh. yes, that was very difficult. Yeah, and talk about a distraction. When you were watching the news, the one thing that stands out in my mind is the video that was taken by drivers as they drove down the highway there from Santa Barbara down to Ventura. 
It just looked like the entire mountains, the mountain range there was on fire. Do you remember those visuals? I do. And um, Sean, you know, a lot of us who were working in the EOC and not just in, in the EOC, but out in the field too, we were evacuated too. Mm-hmm. So I was evacuated during this. My colleagues were evacuated during this. So um, yeah, that was another challenges, challenge that was going on for us at the time. But I do remember that video, yes. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and then I, I wasn't able actually to get down there to the Thomas Fire until after about five or six days. And it was still burning like crazy then. And of course, the wind just kept on blowing. And that's really, I think, what made things so difficult for firefighters. At some point, uh, you had to interface with your county partners. Did that happen right away or did it take a little while for them to get down there or for you to get up there? How did that work? Well, first of all, our agencies were working together right from the beginning. So public safety, police, fire, public works, um, environmental health, everybody was working together right from the get-go. As I mentioned before, the Ventura County OES has a website, vcemergencies.com, which is the hub for all information. So that's also an opportunity for us to feed them information that needs to be posted on their website. So we were doing that during during the disaster and making sure that we were getting um, all of the parties the correct information so that the public could have it. I have to say one of the things that I felt was really helpful during this time is relationships. And Bill Nash, the PIO for Ventura County, holds quarterly meetings for all of our public information officers in the county and not just for training, but so that we don't meet each other for the first time during a crisis. And like I said, all of our executives, elected officials, public works departments, they were working together immediately, but not having to meet somebody for the first time during a crisis is gold. Because what did that you do know for each you? Other, yeah. Yep. You know each other, you trust each other. Um, there's a, it's a dynamic situation and you want to make sure that you're communicating well with each other. The county folks also did an incredible job at putting together a website called VenturaCountyRecovers.org, which is an informational site for recovery efforts related to the Thomas Fire. It's loaded with information about debris removal, housing, and rebuilding, that type of thing. And, you know, another thing that happened, which was just uh, incredibly heartwarming, is that during this disaster, the city of Ventura received an email from Sean McGlynn. He's the city manager for the city of Santa Rosa, and he was offering his services. You know, he wanted to make sure that he was extending himself to help us in whatever way we needed. And Sean flew down, and he was in our EOC helping us and guiding us. And I actually had an opportunity to connect with Adrienne Merton. She's their communications officer at City of right. Santa Rosa and was able to ask her questions while this was going on. And she was helping me with some information. And so just a great example of municipalities working together to make things better and help each other out. For sure. And for those people who don't know, uh, Adrienne Mertens and and the gentleman from Santa Rosa, they had just gone through this. So they knew, they still had fresh wounds from all of the, from everything that they had to go through. Right. So they had lessons that they could um, impart on you. And was there anything in particular that stands out in your mind that really helped you that just kind of sort of opened your eyes at all? 
uh, Adrian was just really great. You know, it was just, uh, she was really great at just giving me any information that I need. I feel like Sean McGlynn was, um, was like I said, he was just gold. It was just all about paying it forward for him. And, you know, it's kind of like I was giving this example to somebody the other day, kind of like if you're going to have surgery or something and, you know, you have a doctor to walk you through it. He says, this is what's going to happen during the surgery. This is what, these are some things you may need, may need to make decisions about, you know, this is what to expect afterwards. And so he, he just kind of played that role for us. You know, th- these are th- things you need to think about. These are some decisions you need to make, and this is what you need to keep your eye on and, and move forward with. So that was really helpful. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. I've seen that. So where do you sit now in terms of the overall sort of recovery process and how, how do you feel things are going right now? Obviously not as stressful as it was during, during the actual response phase, but, but I, I'd imagine that a lot of that is behind you, but there's still so much ahead of you as well. Yeah, you know, we shifted gears really quickly after we had the fire behind us. We shifted gears to communicating information to the public about flooding and erosion. And so we went right from one message to another. And after after that, I think most of the rain is gone at this point, but we've moved on to rebuilding. And so our messaging has been about that. Our community development department has done an incredible job. You know, one of the, th- one of the first things they did um, just a couple of weeks after the fire is they started putting parcel packets out. I think it was the second week after the fire, parcel packets for each individual who had lost their home, giving them all mm. the information on their parcel. And so we really wanted to do that as a way to reach out to let them know that we, that we care about them and that we're going to do everything we need or that we can do um, to help them to rebuild. And so we all we knew that each one of them would have different unique circumstances. So we wanted to to do that. We also put a Thomas Fire Rebuild office in our city hall. So they have access to getting the information they need. So, you know, the message has just been moving along. I, I guess I would say that, but we're definitely seeing uh, a lot of resiliency and um, we're excited about helping these people rebuild their homes. Mm-hmm. Has the city had to hire additional staff in order to handle the workload? Yes, definitely. So uh, we have we've had a lot of contract work that we that we put out to people because we wanted to make sure that we had enough people to help to help our community. The Ventura City Council took several important steps by instituting a, a streamlined and an expedited approach to help residents rebuild. And so, like I said, we're making every effort that we can to support the homeowners. Mm-hmm. For anybody who may find themselves in your position uh, in their own community, what is one important lesson that you'd like to share with them that something that you realized uh, really benefited you? Well, like I said before, during an emergency, you just make it work. You can't always follow the regular process because you're not operating in a normal circumstance. And I'm not so much if I'm, I don't know if this is um, really the way you're phrasing the question, Sean, but one, one takeaway of this for me has been that I hope this doesn't sound corny, but it's really, it's really been incredible to see sort of the spirit of the public servant. You know, anywhere from our first responders to our public works people to public health, everybody just wants to help and to do a good job. 
There were a lot of staff and individuals, either from public works or Ventura Water Departments, who put themselves in places where maybe they shouldn't have been for their safety because they were trying to help. And, and, and you just cross boundaries. You just have to cross so many boundaries sometimes to do what needs to be done. And so it was just so heartwarming to see all of these people just coming in and wanting to do whatever they could. And we also got a tremendous outpouring of support from our community. You know, one of the things I did not expect, Sean, was that handling the donations would be such a huge undertaking. The vast number of phone calls that we got from people who just wanted to do something to help was enormous. It was kind of like you could have one person just working on that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, United Way Ventura County stepped up right away. And it was really important as a public information officer to have somebody to send these people to because we couldn't possibly undertake the chore of writing down each individual's name and phone number and you know what they had to offer or support. So that was incredible. It was a huge undertaking and something that I just did not expect to happen uh, during this fire. We also had so many people in the community um, step up. We had a huge Thomas Fire Benefit Festival that was put on by our local community members and organizations. And about 5,000 people attended the concert, which starred Olivia Newton-John, Kevin Costner, Colby Calais. Uh, local swing band, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, mm-hmm. and all of the entire cost of the events and the artists performed for free, and 100% of the sales went to the fire victims. Our downtown Ventura organization um, was undertaking this chore of collecting these funds, and uh, I know it was a lot of work on their part, but every dime went to people who were Um, directly affected by the fire. So it was well worth it. So the concert raised over $700,000 for these victims. Incredible. And that is the one thing. And, you know, you, you worried about it coming off corny earlier and, it doesn't. I mean, what it does is it shows you just how much people really care about each other, especially in times of crises. This is, uh, I think one of the, the good things that comes out of any disaster is people show their true colors. I guess that's that silver lining, I suppose. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, one of the one of the topics that's come up since the fire has been about Spanish translation. Mm-hmm. And so we've had um, folks come forward and advocate for more Spanish translation. Um, as far as the city of Ventura goes, I'm really proud to say that we had somebody in our PIO team working that night and all through the incident who was doing translation in Spanish. So for us, we got really lucky that night. She did an incredible job. Um, She's fluent in Spanish. She doesn't just do a Google Translate. She makes sure that everything is said the way it's supposed to be said. So we got really lucky to have her that night. Give her some props. Who, Who are we talking about here? Yes, her name is Rosie Ornelas, and she used to. She's she's a previous city of the uh, city of Ventura employee. She's no longer here, but yes, she absolutely deserves her props. She did an amazing job. We had you know newsletters that were scheduled to go out, you know, during that week, which we had to pull back. We had to pull back all of these things because 
we were trying to think of a think ahead of what else is going out there. What do we need to be thinking about that's already scheduled? So a lot of things we pulled back, and then again we started putting out the messages about the fire, rewriting things that were already coming into publication, making sure we were getting them out there in Spanish too. So Kelly, we all throughout our careers we make a, an occasional mistake here and there. And we learned from those. Was there anything that you may have done that you wish you would have done differently during this whole uh, response and recovery phase? Well, um, I would kind of bump that out a little bit to a broader perspective. Um, I think there are a lot of cities in California, a lot of municipalities who have gone through a lot of budget cuts. And so we've all had to make cutbacks here and there. I don't think that that's unique to Ventura. And so I think we all have to continue to be mindful about how important emergency preparedness is and how important it is for us to do that training often. I concur. All right. So I want to thank you, Kelly. Kelly Flanders, uh, Communications Manager for the City of Ventura, talking to us about the Thomas Fire. And uh, boy, that was a big one. Kelly, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Sean. Yeah, it still blows my mind. 700 agencies, 8,500 firefighters from 22 states. That, my friends, is why California is the leader in fighting wildfires with its incomparable mutual aid program. And SIMS, California's implementation guidelines for the National Incident Management System. Amazing. My thanks to Kelly Flanders from the city of Ventura for telling her story and to you for listening. We appreciate it. We have more on the topics mentioned in this podcast in the show notes for this episode at oesnews.com. That's oesnews.com. Click on the podcast tab and on this show's headline. If you have any questions or comments about this or any episode for that matter, send them to me at questions at caloes.ca.gov. One more time, questions at caloes.ca.gov. Thanks to our entire PIO team. We have a great office here. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.